right, Matthew chapter 24, if you will turn there, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 24, we'll read verses 1, 2, and 3, and then we'll jump down to verse 27. This morning I'm going to start sort mini-series on the soon second coming of Jesus Christ. One of the most clear doctrines in your entire Bible is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, Matthew chapter 24, stand with me. We will read together verses 1, 2, and 3, and then, down to verse, and then just jump down to verse 27. <clears throat> Matthew 24, verses 1, 2, and 3, and then 27. Let's read together out loud. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Down to verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the world is going through such trauma. And it doesn't realize what's coming up. People are failing in every area of, of their abilities to just cope because things are changing so rapidly. Things are building up to something. And I'm glad for my Bible, Father. So I can see just a little bit ahead and go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be awesome. There is something wonderful happening. It will be terrifying to the world. But it's wonderful to me. So, Lord, may we take a good look in your word this morning. For the next few weeks, may we learn about your soon coming again. And may it scare some people that they're not ready. What an awful waste of time holding on to stubborn pride. Never able to admit they're lost. They're possessed by another God than the Lord Jesus Christ whether it's money or religion or self-righteousness. They need to get born again. And then the Christians need to take the Christian life seriously because this life is not all there is. It's about to end. So God, I pray, open our hearts, thrill our hearts with what we're about to learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, what a thought. What an amazing idea that someone named Jesus is coming back to this world of ours, and that he's coming back soon. If you looked around, would, do you, does it look like he's coming back soon? I don't answer that to some of you who really believe it. But it seems like people that I talked to today, I was talking to somebody yesterday that picked up a, um, uh, a coffee table and talked to him a little bit about the gospel, and he went, Probably not many people want to talk about that kind of stuff today. I went, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's like, obviously. 
But it seems like more and more people are more comfortable with ignoring the facts surrounding His first coming. And more people are comfortable living like Jesus never came at all. So when you even talk about the second coming, people aren't concerned. As a matter of fact, if you looked at our world and all everything that's going on, you might get the idea that pretty well 99.9% of this planet of ours uh, thinks that Jesus and his soon return is irrelevant, is unimportant, is unworthy of any consideration. And really the idea is that no modern, sophisticated, highly educated homo sapien that's a human, would ever believe that someone named Jesus actually was here, actually was killed, and actually rose again, and actually rose, uh, ascended up to heaven, and that he's actually coming back. No modern, sophisticated, highly intelligent human would do that, would believe that. But you know what's most sad? More sad than the fact that the world is, is distancing, distancing itself more and more from this soon coming is the fact that Christians have cooled off about it too. The Christians are not pumped up and excited about the soon coming again of the Lord. Folks, he is still coming back. And I want to say, quite sadly, there are some people in this room, not sadly, let me say it this way, they're, they're quite excitedly, that there are some people in this room who are going to possibly live to see it. Now, is that mind things correction? Oh, Okay. Now, what difference, okay, how do I know? I'm going to explain how I know. And what difference does it make whether we believe it or not? I mean, I already believed in Jesus. I already, I already asked him to save me. Amen. Good. But there is a difference in believing in the second coming than just thinking, well, he's already come and gone. That's it. Now we just got to dog eat dog, get our way through life, and then it's over. So this morning, I want to talk to you and remind you that, ready or not, Jesus is coming. How many of you remember hide-and-seek when you were a kid? It's most fun when you play with your grandkids, though. Because your grandkids will always hide in the same places every time. <laughs> they don't get the idea. Go fight something else. But you know what's fun about that whole thing is that phrase, ready or not, here I come. That's the most exciting part of it. And then you're going around, I'm coming, I'm coming, where are you? Well, the Lord's coming back, whether we're ready or not. So let me talk to you first off about the promise of Christ's second coming. Here in Matthew chapter 24, let's read it again. I want you to see a promise made. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. The disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, in their day, this temple was absolutely stunning. It was gold-plated. It was massive. It was huge. It was uh, adorned with, with gifts. People would bring gifts and they would hang it on the wall. There, were, there was um, uh, beautiful tapestries and and uh, cloths, and hanging flowers, and, and gold um, plaques, and, and all around adorning the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, listen to me very carefully, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And there, that just stops them dead, and they go, What? I mean, it's one thing to knock a hole in the wall. It's one thing to, to damage something. But Jesus actually, and it did actually happen in 70 AD, when the Roman army came in and Titus actually spread a little secret saying that there was gold um, uh, stored between the stones of the temple. And so the soldiers literally pulled down every single stone looking for gold. 
And Jesus prophesied that a day was coming when every single stone of that building was going to collapse and be taken down. Total destruction, verse 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, as they're processing this, the disciples came to him privately saying, hey, tell us, when are these things going to be? What's going to be the sign of thy coming? We know what's going to happen when you take over, Lord, at the end of the world. So I want to say that the promise of the second coming is not something that was new. It's not something that was just come up even just a few hundred years ago. It was predicted from the very beginning of time. I'll talk about it more next week, but God said to Satan, he said, one of these days, somebody's going to come and going to kick your rear. God promised that his son would, would bruise the head of Satan. But it goes on, this is, this is something that Jesus himself promised. Look at verse 27. For as a lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also not a, a prophet, not another prophet, but himself the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, the coming of the Son of Man, when he uses the word Son of Man, he's using a prophetic phrase that was said first in the book of Ezekiel and in the book of Daniel that pointed to the Messiah, and he called him the Son of Man to make sure you understood he was not an angel, he wasn't just a vision, wasn't an apparition, but he was a human. And that this divinely birthed human would be the Son of God in the flesh. So he calls himself the Son of Man to connect back with the Old Testament prophecies. Now Jesus is standing right there in front of me. He says, when I come back, it'll be like lightning shining, like light speed racing across the sky from east unto the west. Go to Mark chapter 14. You're in Matthew. Mark chapter 14 and verse 60. Mark 14 and verse 60. And the high priest stood in the midst. Now Jesus has been bound and Jesus is being mocked and whipped and beaten barefisted. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answers thou nothing? You've been accused of everything. 16 verse 60. What is it which these witnesses against thee? And he held, but he held his peace, didn't say anything, and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, I'm going to ask you, art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said what? I am. Never let a Mormon, a Mormon huh, never let a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness tell you that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God or that he was not God in the flesh. Jesus said, I am the Son of, the, of God, the Blessed. And ye, now watch what he says to that Pharisee, to that uh, uh, religious leader. He said, and ye shall see the same son of man that you're about to kill. You'll see him sitting on the right hand of power and you'll see him coming in the clouds of heaven. Go back to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Matthew 16, 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him gather his swords, gather his, his uh, um, um, compatriots, uh, get, your, get your weapons, we're going to go for a war. No, that's not what he said. He said, if you're going to come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me because it's going to be hard. Verse 25, for whosoever will save his life, you're going to what? Shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what, shall, what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man, Jesus is still speaking. He's just said, guys, it's going to be hard enough to where he's going to kill you. But that's all right. Verse 27, the Son of Man one day is going to be victorious. He shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Fairly I say unto you, there be some, this is our memory verse, standing here. You may put your life on the line, you may suffer, and you may lose your life. But there are some of you who are standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man at his second coming in his kingdom. Now, there were loads of, of prophecies throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, I, I have never calculated all of them, but one very reputable person uh, that I kind of respect it says that there are 900 very clear prophecies in the Bible that point to a Messiah. They don't just prophesy about the weather or prophesy about an earthquake, but there are 900 that clearly talk about a coming Messiah, a ruler, a deliverer, a savior, a liberator, a defender. Now, 100 of them already were fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. But that leaves 800 more Yet to come, 800 more clear instructions. You haven't seen anything ambiguous. Jesus said very clearly, um, uh, the Son of Man shall come again. I mean, that's not, that's not figurative. That's not mysterious. He says, I'm coming back over and over. But it's prophesied. Look in Acts. You're in Matthew. Go to Acts chapter 1. Angels said he's coming back. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Acts 1.9, and when Jesus had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So what happened? He took off and just floated up and a cloud covered him so that he disappeared. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. A parable. A parable. Can't say that right. Apparel. Who were they? They're angels. Verse 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee... Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus. You might want to circle those three words. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come. How did he come? How did he go? He went up into a cloud, and the Bible says, he shall so come in like manner. He will come out and split the clouds and come back to this earth as you have seen him go into heaven. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. John in Revelation 1, 7 prophesies that Jesus is coming back. This is just one of them. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And how many are going to see him? Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, even the Jews, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail, not just rejoice, most of them are going to wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now, this was written 60 years after Jesus had left, and John says, can't wait. Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, middle of your Bible, then turn right a bit and find uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. 
Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel is the Old Testament book of Revelation. They kind of are just two sides of the same coin. They are amazingly similar. Daniel chapter 7, look at verse 13. I saw in the night visions, this is Daniel writing, and behold, one like the, say it with me, son of man. I saw somebody. I got to call him. I don't know why I have to call him this, but this is what the Holy Spirit wants me to call him. I saw one like unto the Son of Man, and he came with clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days. We'd say it this way, the Eternal One. That's God. And they brought him near before God. And there was given him, watch these words, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him, serve Jesus. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And you ought to say amen to that. God's, God's son is not going to be a temporary Taoiseach. He's not going to be a, a, a political party that is in popularity and out of popularity. No, it's an everlasting kingdom, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, uh, that which shall not be destroyed. So there's coming the Son of Man. Prophesied by Isaiah. Go, look, go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Now, we refer, we use, we refer to Isaiah 9, 6 as a great Christmas scripture, prophecy about his first coming. But I want you to see, this has got both comings of Jesus in the two verses, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Who's that? Jesus. Look at the next words. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Keep reading verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his, here's our word, kingdom, to order it, he's going to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So did Jesus just come so that we could sing away in a manger? Did Jesus just come so that we could have Christmas and we could make billions and billions in profit off of some Christmas lights and Christmas trees? Is that why he came? No, it says a son was given so he would take over. That's what it says. That he would be king of kings and lord of lords. Has that happened yet? No. So it has yet to happen. Let's look at another one. Micah 5.2. You're in Isaiah. Go almost to Matthew. And then turn left. Find a little book called Micah. It's right after uh, Jonah. Micah 5.2. Sometimes I do this just to get you used to finding these places in your Bible. <laughs> Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Again, a Christmas First, we used to point to the fact that Jesus was coming to be born in Bethlehem, but it wasn't only about Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little, you're a tiny little town among all the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Has Jesus ruled Israel yet? 
Not yet. Whose goings forth have been from of old, he's been from how long ago? So this is not just any normal baby. This is somebody who's been around forever. Now the funny thing is, most people expected that when the Messiah would come the first time, that he would do all of these things. They expected Jesus to walk around with a, a staff of, of authority, that he would have uh, secretaries, and he would have um, uh, war councils, and he would have political parties, and he would develop a, 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 um, um, an army to take over. That's what they expected. And when he didn't do that, what did they go? What did they do? They went back to the scripture and says, well, that's no ruler. You understand what I'm saying? This is why the Pharisees and the people were confused saying, how can this guy who doesn't own anything except the clothes on his back, how can he ever run the country? How can he ever raise an army? How can he ever rule the world? They were confused. They thought that, every, that Jesus was going to do everything in one coming. Aren't you glad he didn't do everything in one coming? So obviously there are many prophecies yet to be fulfilled. That leads to our next point, and that is there's a purpose in his second coming, and there's a lot of unfinished business. So evidently not even a tenth of all the prophecies about the Messiah have been accomplished. There are a lot yet to be fulfilled, and they will be fulfilled, dear friend. What are they? Well, they are specific promises made to three groups of people. The first one is to the Jews. Did you know... Almost without exception, almost every prophecy in the Bible was written for the benefit of one people group, and it's not the Irish, it's not the Americans, it's the Jew. So when people say God's all through with the Jews, that's as if calling God the worst kind of liar ever imaginable. His promises were made to a people that the world hates and that, that have hated all throughout history, and have tried to eradicate them. They are arrogant. They are wicked. But they are a people that God made promises to. And so the prophecies are the fulfillment of promises made to the Jews. And they have not been fulfilled yet. The second group that the prophecies benefit and are directed to are to the Gentiles. Who would get to be part of God's plan for the Jews. Do you know how I got in? to the plan that God had given to Abraham and his descendants by faith. All I had to do was believe, and God accepted me and adopted me into his family and says, all right, you're as good as a Jew. You're, you're equal to as if you were natural-born son of Abraham, and you did it by faith. And I get to enjoy the promises that God gave to the Gentiles that a light would be given to them to save them too. But there's one other group that God made some promises to, and it's probably the most fun group that I enjoy watching the fulfillment of the promises, and that's to the devil. God made some promises to the devil, and he's going to keep his promises. And one of those promises is he's going to get rid of them. Amen. One of the most wonderful things about the devil is he's doomed. <laughs> Amen? So when we talk about the promises and the prophecies of the Bible, there's some good reason to learn about them. Now, God promised that someone would come and fix everything. When Jesus came the first time, did he fix politics? Obviously not. <laughs> did, he, uh, did he fix health care? No, he could heal anybody, but did he, did he make it so that nobody got sick again? Not yet. Did he fix the banking industry? 
No. Did he fix taxation? Did he fix all our social issues? No. He didn't even come and fix the weather. Amen? He came to take our place under the wrath of Almighty God. That's why he came the first time. He came to save us from our sins. Matthew 1.21 says, And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their enemies. Is that what it says? No. He shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 18.11, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. There's evidently a lot more than our sins that need fixing. I think you agree. Daniel chapter 9. You're in Micah. Go back. Find Daniel just... Just a few pages to the left, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. Daniel 9, 24. God promised that someone would come to this world to fix everything. 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. I kind of try to explain that next week, so don't miss that. To finish, look at what he's going to do. He's going to finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. Would you like for that to take place? I would like so that I no longer sin. He goes on. To make reconciliation between us and God for iniquity. I know that has happened. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. Has that happened? Not yet. And to seal up the vision and the prophecy. Which means to fulfill all the visions and the prophecies of the Bible. And lastly, to anoint the most holy. That's all right. No. Know therefore, uh, let me just stop there for a second. Here, 70 weeks are determined to figure, to, to finish all of this. Someone needs to finally get rid of the devil. Someone needs to bring in everlasting righteousness. Someone needs to fulfill all the visions and prophecies of the Bible. And someone needs to be anointed the most holy one of all. I wonder who that is. Did I list that? Yeah, all right, hold on. Look there in verse 25. 9.25, he goes on. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. That's what Ezra and Nehemiah are all about. Unto the who? The Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks of years and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again on the wall, even in troublesome times. And after threescore and two weeks, shall Messiah be? He's, going to be? he's going to be killed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, that's the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. It's only going to go from worse to worse. So what we've got, the unfinished business is that He's going to, uh, Jesus is finally going to get rid of the devil. He's finally going to bring in everlasting righteousness. He's going to fulfill all the visions and prophecies of the entire Bible. And he's going to be anointed the most holy one. The only person that all can be done, that, all, that can do all of that is Jesus of Nazareth. Say, so, all right, let me give you a comparison between the first coming and the second coming. Because you know about the first coming. Maybe you haven't considered comparing that and watching how opposite the second coming is going to be. First of all, Jesus came as a baby, didn't he? How's he coming back the second time? As a man of war, he will have a sword and his vesture will be dipped in blood. He came in the first time, he came in the night over in Bethlehem. 
Some shepherds got to see him. When they went telling everybody, there's a baby born, he's the, the Messiah, he's the Son of God, I bet very few ever went over there and says, in a barn? Yeah, couldn't be. Well, second coming, how's he coming? He's coming in broad daylight, and he will be seen by every eye. When he came the first time, he came meek and lowly like a lamb. When he comes back the second time, what animal is he going to be like? A lion. Full of fury like a lion. I saw somebody film. They had this little kid. This little kid was standing here. You didn't know. You didn't see the whole picture, but he's standing there, and there's a lion about 30 feet away from that kid. And that lion's just crouched down there, and he's watching and watching that kid. I mean, the kid's probably three years old, and the kid's just watching, and that lamb leaps, that lion, that lion leaps up and starts charging to that kid, and wham, hits the perspex window. <laughs> and he went, whew. I mean, the chant, listen, when, when, a, when a lion is, is, is stirred and wants to attack, there's nothing stopping him, except perspex maybe. <laughs> But when Jesus Christ comes back, he will not be uh, meek and quiet. He will not be a lamb. He will be a lion. He came the first time, according to Isaiah 52, as a suffering servant. How's he coming back the second time? As a sovereign king, ruler of kings and, and, and princes. He will accept, he came his first time to accept the wrath of God on himself for sinners. Some I wouldn't do. I got enough trouble with myself. I don't want to pay for your trouble. <laughs> but he came to accept the wrath of God on himself, but the second time when he comes back, he will come to judge and to bring vengeance upon all sinners. See why you need to get saved? It's because there's been a way for the punishment that you deserve to be taken off of you and put on Jesus because if you don't get born again by the time you meet him, it's over. He will have to judge you. Fear of God is a good motivator, Amen. When he came the first time, he came to suffer and die and rise again. But when he comes the second time, he will not die. The Bible says he ever liveth. There's a difference between the first coming and the second coming. One more. He came to bring in the kingdom of God into hearts of men and women. You know what he comes to bring when he comes the second time? The kingdom of heaven on earth. Right now, I'm glad for the kingdom of God in my heart, but I sure wish for the kingdom of heaven on earth, because this world needs a new, some new leadership. <laughs> so when Jesus came the first time, he actually rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees for their failure to recognize, watch these words, the signs of the times. Back to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Look at verses 1 to 3. The Pharisees also, with the Sadducees, came and tempting, always trying to get Jesus to say something they could latch on to, always trying to find a critical, they always had a critical spirit, trying to find him to do something wrong, and they tempted him, desired that he would, hey, show us a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, oh, excuse me, when it is the evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. How many remember the old phrase, you know? Um, uh, red sky in, uh, at night is a sailor's delight. Or shepherd's delight. It's not like a, a, a food or whatever. Shepherd's delight. Red sky in the morning is a shepherd's warning. 
So he says, when you see fair, when you see the red sky in the evening, you know it's going to be fair weather. Verse 3. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red in the morning and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You know, Daniel actually predicted exactly when the Messiah would be walking through uh, Jerusalem and would ride on a donkey and would be proclaimed Hosanna, the king, uh, and they just... They just rejected it. Jesus scolded them saying, you know how to predict the weather and you can't even read your Bible and see that I'm supposed to be here right now. I am the Messiah. Well, did you know in the same way Jesus holds us accountable for the failure to recognize the signs of his second coming? Because believe me, there are more signs for the second coming than there are for the first. There's some actual undeniable signs Pointing to the second coming. Go back, go to Matthew chapter 24. And you may be so used to these signs, I'm going to actually torque up, pump up your understanding of these signs just to taste today. Next week we'll look at them even more. And it ought to just make your heart bump and, and pump and thrill with excitement saying, it could be, it could be soon. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Pick it up in verse 3, and he goes down to verse 12. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, what, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming unto the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Is it possible to know that we're coming to the end of the world? Yes. You cannot predict the day or the hour. You cannot say he's coming back in 2022. You can't figure... What month? You can't figure the day. Don't be stupid. There are thousands of people who have throughout history made dates and they've embarrassed Christianity. But you ought to be able to see the signs that is coming and I'll show you how in just a minute. Don't let any man deceive you. For many, first of all, he says, shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. I am the Messiah. And shall deceive many. I think those are the sad words of it. I know there are nutcases out there. Some of them are in Charlottesville Court. Some of them are saying, I'm God. I'm Jesus. But you know what's sad? When others believe it. When they, people get deceived. There are, here, Jesus says, there are coming people that will deceive so many saying that they are Messiah. Verse 6, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not tr troubled. For all these things must come to pass, and the end is not yet for nations shall rise again, nation and kingdom against kingdom. That is, is it something throughout history that has happened? Yes, but I'm going to show you how this um, uh, prophecy actually has been fulfilled before our eyes in just a moment. He goes on and he says there shall be famines, pestilences, that's disease, Earthquakes in diverse places, in places all over the world. And you wouldn't know that there are earthquakes all over the world except for the Internet, except for news. You wouldn't know that a tsunami slaughtered 300,000 people down there on Christmas Day back in 2011 in Indonesia if it weren't for satellite TV. And yet Jesus is saying, you are going to hear about earthquakes from all over the world. Keep going. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of, and circle that word, sorrows. That's just not sadness. 
its sorrows of a certain kind. We'll talk about it in a moment. They will deliver you up, you Christians. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many shall be offended. Please, please realize we are in the last days because everybody's offended. Good night. When I got saved, nobody was offended. My pastor made fun of me from the pulpit one day. We had offering plates. And I'm standing up there getting ready to take the offering. I was up there. My pastor said, hey, Brother Ledbetter, turn to your side. I went like this. Stick your tongue out. Mm. He said, doesn't he look like a zipper? That was my pastor. I was a skinny guy. One day he said, Brother Ledbetter, he said it to me in front of a couple other people, he says, in order for you to get wet, you must have to jump around in the shower. You say, that would kill me. Grow up. Everybody's offended. You know what I learned when I was growing up? If they didn't make fun of you, they didn't like you. <laughs> the promise here is that the whole world is going to be so offended, but mainly it's Christians who are so offended today. You better hold on to your hat. Because offense gets you to the place, if you're offended, you quit. That's what offense means. It's not just, you hurt my feelings. No. Jesus says, many shall be offended and they quit following me. And verse 10 goes on. Then shall many be offended. They shall betray one another. Can you imagine Christians when they're under threat going, I'm not a Christian, but he is. Can you imagine Living in a culture where it is illegal to be a Christian and the, the guard come in and they, they point their guns, you go, ah, I was just dragged here. I, I didn't want to be here. And they betray others. That's what Jesus was prophesying would happen in the last days, and it's happening. If I stood around you, some of you teenagers, if I came alongside you while you're with your friends, you know what you do? You go like this. And you hide. And you'd betray saying, I don't know that guy. Shame on you. Because you're fulfilling scripture about the soon coming of the Lord Jesus at a day when this world is the most wicked it's ever been. Don't join the crowd that mocks Jesus Christ. Stand for Jesus. He goes on. Hating. They shall hate one another. He's not talking about just the world hating one another because they already do. But Christians hating one another. In marriages, children and teenagers. I, I, I can't understand how a parent allows a kid to ever talk back to them. Because that kid hates that mom. The mom won't admit it. The dad won't handle it. But let me tell you this. We're living in a day where everybody seems to just hate one another. Can't talk about, talk, talk about anything to anybody. Then he goes on one last thing. Verse 11, two more things. He says, false prophets shall rise, and again, here's the words, and shall deceive many. And lastly, verse 12, because iniquity, that sin, shall abound. I, I hate to say this, but I need you to get the picture. When he says abound, it's, he's talking about like a toilet, 
that when it flushes, it comes out and doesn't go down. And iniquity is like a backed up toilet that begins to just pulse out with all the sewage. And iniquity is abounding like that. Because iniquity shall abound, obviously the love of so many shall wax cold. And that's just a few of the signs. Go back to verse 6. It's kind of fun. I like how Jesus interjects some great encouragement there. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, which was always scary because guess what? When you weren't a VIP, when you weren't somebody born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know what happened when a war happened? You were conscripted, you were put on the front line, and you were killed. That's what they had to face. And Jesus said, more wars are coming. And then he, fix, he fixes their heart. He says, see that ye be not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Go down to verse 8. All these are just the beginning of something called sorrows. Watch that word sorrow, because we're talking about the sorrow and the pain of a woman that's about to give birth. You see, these aren't just general things that the world is going to experience like it always has. Obviously, the world has already always had wars, right? Has always battled diseases. We've always faced, as a, as a human race, earthquakes and famines. And that's why so many people, when they come to the Bible and they hear about these prophecies, there's nothing new there. Well, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Because what's different about today is this. All right? That list is, is a prediction of things that will grow exponentially. It's a good math term. I hope you went in secondary school and actually paid attention to math. Exponentially means over time things double and double and double to the point where it's just a straight line straight up. Things just, just increase at such a rate that it's unbelievable. So in Matthew 24, where Jesus is asked, what are the signs of your coming? Jesus responds, and he says, it'll be like birth pains. You know, you, you notice, here's a woman, she's gone 900 months, no, just nine months, <laughs> waiting for that baby to come out. But day after day, you know what's not happening? The birth pains. Now, men, we have no idea. And most people in this room have no idea what it's like to go through the contractions and that last incredible shoot-up of, of intensity and strength of pain just before the birth of that baby. And so Jesus is talking about, as we get closer to the end time, all of those things will actually go through the roof. Not the fact that they're, they're for the first time we've got earthquakes, but the fact that earthquakes will go through the roof. For example, we have false messiahs. There's this guy down in South America. He says, I'm, I'm superior to Jesus Christ. He's got 200,000 people following him. False messiahs. Wars and rumors of war. You don't, you don't pick up the newspaper. You don't watch television without some war being brought to your attention. You know, it's kind of funny. I think we just... We're just so numb, we don't realize how many wars are going on right now. Hey, at the end of the last century, there were just six wars. When I say last century, the 1800s. Between 1870 and 1913, there were just six wars and major conflicts per year. But that rose to 17 per year during the two world wars. 
than 31 wars and conflicts during the Cold War era, and 36 conflicts and wars were going on every year during the 1990s. We're so overwhelmed by information and fake news today, we're unaware of just how much of our world is at war today, right now. Wars and rumors of wars are going through the roof. Famines. 1921, there's a famine in Russia, 5 million dead. 1928 to 29, China had a famine with 3 million dead. 1932 to 33, there was a Ukrainian famine with 7 million people dead. 1932 to 33, there was a famine in Kazakhstan, over 1 million dead. These are from Wikipedia. 1936, another famine in China with 5 million dead. 1942 to 43, another famine in China with a million dead. 1943, a famine in Bengal, India with 2 million dead. 1946 and 47, the Soviet Union had over a million dead due to a famine. 1959 to 1961 in China, 36 million people died of starvation because of rotting food. That's 61 million people perishing a famine in just 40 years. It's the same as World War II. People die in a famine. That doesn't sound like, well, it's always been that way. No, no. Sounds to me like there's a problem. Disease, pestilence. A guy, an arrogant British doctor, virologist, coming after World War II, listen to what he said in 1962. He said, by the end of the Second World War, we can now say that almost all of the major practical problems of dealing with infectious disease has now been solved. Uh, he was wrong. Mankind is battling more diseases than ever. Our, the diseases that mankind is battling are more resilient than ever, and there are more diseases to come. See, as we get closer to the end of the age, the birth pangs, the contractions, the, the, the earth is now going through not just diseases, but diseases mutating at such a rate that you cannot keep up. Earthquakes. From the United States Geological Survey, there were 147 earthquakes of six and plus in 2016, 111 in 2017, 135 six and higher earthquakes in 2018 all over the world, 135. So far there have been 87 this year, on track to be 180 earthquakes of six and plus. 180, last year was 135, the year before that 111, the year before that 147, which is a bit of a peak. It's like this, folks. You say, you think we're going, you think, think the Lord's coming back? Very soon. Persecution of Christians. Oh, just by the way, when they come up with this uh, uh, Richter scale, guess what pattern they followed? Uh, the exponential. Every single one, when you go to five to six, it is actually an order of magnitude. It's 10 times the amount of energy and 33 times the amount of, uh, sorry, 10 times the amount of shaking and 33 times the amount of energy each time you double and go from moderate to strong to major to great earthquake up to uh, uh, nine on the Richter scale. Persecution of Christians. You know, it's actually common knowledge now. Everybody realizes that the most persecuted people group on the planet are Christians now. Everyone is absolutely protected by law except for Christians. And really, there's no country safe for Christians anymore. Just to be a believer in Jesus is getting more and more dangerous 
It'll be dangerous for you on your job. You can't send out a tweet without 400 people checking to make sure that you're not offending somebody. And then if you do, you know, just quote the Bible, you're fired. Nigerian Christians and churches are being slaughtered by the tens and twenties every month. East Timor saw over two, over 20,000 slaughtered in under 10 years. 20,000 Christians. There are almost none there. It's a funny thing, but before Sodom and Sain got uh, uh, conquered in Iraq, there were somewhere around 50,000. Now, they're not our kind of Christians, but they were kind of Catholic Christians. There were 50,000 Christians. There's none in Iraq now, except for a few little small spots where people are trying to start Christian, uh, Christian churches again. Canada has steadily been enacting strict, strict laws against any Christianity that goes outside of the four walls of their church churches. Even supposed Christian nations are now known for heavily persecuting Christians. If you're not Catholic, do you remember what it was like when you were trying to be a Christian in a, in a Catholic world? Persecution. Let's move on. What about offending? Hold on, hold on. I, got, I didn't. Did I say the last one there? I don't know one there. Uh... Oh, yeah, that's persecution of Christians. Um, I have more. Being offended, this is what I want you to hold your head on. This generation is the most hypercritical generation of just about everything. I don't know how moms cook for their kids. You know what I'd feed you? Sand. You know, Christians are supposed to overlook stuff. That's, that's our new nature. Our, our new nature just overlooks stuff. Yet in this room, there are people who only notice when I say something off. You won't pay attention to one word I say until I say something kind of weird or off or wrong. You go, oh, I, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to use that against you. I never expected to see such a falling away in my lifetime. I, I've always believed the Lord could come back in my lifetime, but I didn't expect to see it happen so rapidly, collapse in Christianity. I've watched people, I've watched people that I've personally discipled, taught, prayed with, prayed for, and watched them spit and walk out and never come back. Jesus goes on and says that we, Christians will betray one another hate one another, false prophets. I mean, that crew, that's about a billion euros in money coming into their pockets every year. And people are putting it in there. They're false teachers, false prophets. And they're multiplying. YouTube is a sewer of false teaching and false prophets and false doctrines, and it's growing. It's not going away. Lastly, iniquity. Who would have imagined? You couldn't have imagined 10 years ago that same-sex marriage would have been voted in. You couldn't have imagined that they would be on the TV calling what they want to claim as marriage and saying that it's only two people loving each other. With 10 years ago, people would have gone, wah, wah. and here we are. Iniquity abounding. The amount of unmentionable filth that makes up movies today. 
What about judges? Can you imagine being a, a film classifier, having to classify? I mean, if I were a film classifier, when the movie comes, they're going to have to prove to me that it's not filthy before I give them anything less than an 18. <laughs> Can you imagine what you'd have to watch of all the films that are out there? What about if you were a judge? To have to face the people who are doing such un unimaginable filth in their homes and to people and to animals. Listening to two people in divorce court would drive anyone to drink. And that's where we're at. Iniquity is abounding. Just the fact that you have hell, you can access hell on your phone. Ought to scare us. We're here. Don't let that freak you out too much, though. Luke, Luke 21. Go to, uh, go to Luke chapter 21, verse 28, and I'm done. A couple more scriptures, and I'm done. Matthew, uh, Luke 21, 28. Luke 21 is, the, is Luke's copy of, of Matthew 24. And he says at the end here, Luke 21, 28, when ye see these things begin to come to pass. Let me explain here. Weston, do you remember that day when your wife said to you, I think it's time. Do you remember that day or were you? You were, huh? You were there. <laughs> He's trying to remember. <laughs> All of a sudden, the contractions start, and then they start picking up, and then they start picking up faster. And what are you thinking? She's coming. Amen? Now, you didn't know it was he or she at that point. Oh, you did? Okay, okay. So the contractions come, and I bet Weston did not go, ah, we've got weeks left. I bet he didn't say, we've got years left before that baby comes out. I bet you didn't say that. Now, there are false labor pains, I understand that. But get the idea. When Jesus says, when you see these things begin to contract, when everything begins to increase, when it just goes crazy, what does he say? Freak out, right? <laughs> nope. Then look up. Lift up your heads for your Savior, your redemption, is drawing nigh. They were, they're, these next few weeks... We're going to learn about more predictions and signs because I, I want to just thrill you that this is not just, well, brother, it's just your interpretation. Oh, no. I'm also going to talk about the parts of the second coming because there are things that are, that are going to be all in play and it's just going to build and build and you need to get a good picture and go, I'm glad I'm saved. <laughs> because this is like... This is like an avalanche, and I've seen some amazing films of avalanches, and there's one place you don't want to be in it. Because there is no way to survive an avalanche. And this world is getting ready to go through an absolute collapse of everything. Money is going to be taken away here very soon. You will not be able to buy or sell. There's going to be somebody down in Jerusalem, who's going to be running the show of the whole world. All the governments will give their power over to this one guy, and it's not Jesus. And the signs that lead up to that require that the, the temple in Jerusalem be rebuilt. That, and I never imagined this. How many of you know about the mark of the beast? Put your hand up. How many of you know about the mark of the beast? It is, a, it is a mark in your right hand or in your forehead that allows you to buy or sell. And without it, you can't buy or sell. 
But if you, I want to give you an idea that I never imagined throughout my years of being a Christian, 39 years, everybody, even unsaved people said, ooh, 666, I don't want that on my visa card. 666, I don't want anything to do with that. Mark of the beast, I would never take a chip. And yet here we are in the last two years, three years, you know what everybody's doing? Sign me up, sign me up, put the chip in there, make my life easier. People are all of a sudden ready to give up and be ready for the Antichrist. I never imagined it would be this fast that within the next 10 years, I would say within the next five or six, when you go to a job, they're going to ask you, would you scan for me so we can see your employment history? And, you'll, and if you're a Christian, you're going to go, I don't want to have the chip. Uh, okay, next. That's where we're coming. So I'm going to talk about the parts of the second coming. I'm going to talk about the present day rejection of the second coming. If you ever went out and you started talking about Jesus coming back, you will be laughed out the door. And I'm going to tell you about a secret place that the Christians are in at the second coming. But you got to take this seriously. You've got to take this seriously. If I was warning you that an armed man, if I was just watching out there and I saw out of my, my eyes, I saw a guy with a semi-automatic rifle, and I saw him walk past that window over there, and he was getting ready to enter this building, armed and dangerous, and I started warning you, there's a guy with a gun out there. He's coming in the front door. Would you take me serious, or would you go, ah, sure, nah. Nobody, we're in Ireland. Nobody has a semi-automatic rifle. <laughs> you Americans, all you want to talk about is guns. But I stood up here and I said, come on, we got to get out this door over here now. we got to get out of here. There's somebody coming in here and he's going to be dangerous. Would you take me seriously? Well, I'm warning you about the Son of God. He's coming back. And he's not coming back like a lamb. And when he comes back, he will judge this world. And he will come. He will come, folks, when you think not. He will judge the secrets of all men. Romans 2.16 is one of the most terrifying scriptures in the Bible. He will judge the secrets of all men. My secrets and yours. They'll all be laid out for everyone to see. Folks, there's no hope unless a Savior can be found who can cover all our secret sins. Amen? I'm glad I, I, I learned about this before it happens. Revelation 1-7 will be done. Revelation 1-7. The most terrifying event that this world could ever experience is described in Revelation 1-7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth, all families, all cultures, all nations, all peoples of the earth shall what? What does wail mean? I mean, it's a type of weeping and, and crying that is out of control. It is like the most terrifying scream with fear you can imagine and all the earth shall wail because he's back. 
Are you ready? Jesus gives us the clearest warnings ever. He didn't say, I might. It might be like this. No, clearer than all. And you know what Christians need to do? I better be ready. I better be ready. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. You say, how do you get ready, Pastor? How do you get ready? You flee from the wrath to come. That's what you do. You flee. You run to the person of Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth, and you claim him, claim him as your Savior. Can you imagine in a court of law, you stood before the judge. Everybody's head bow, please. Some, uh, a criminal stood before the judge. And the judge read off the list of, of crimes. All the evidence was presented. The jury decided you're guilty. And the judge slams down the gavel and says, condemned to death. You have done enough to warrant the loss of your life to pay for your crimes. And then he steps down off of that bench and comes and says, but you can go free if you'll let me take your place. You can go free if you'll let me take your place. First of all, that's greater love than anybody ever has ever experienced in this life. That a judge would be willing to take the place for a criminal. But then that's the decision the criminal has to make is, opportunities there, will you take it? And then I want one more point, and that is, do you know the judge doesn't say that if the judge really means it, and if that criminal is going to be made free, that judge has to die. And the judge of all the earth did come to this earth, and he did die. And he says to you, you want to go free? Then follow me. That's how you escape the wrath to come. That's how all of this stuff build up. You can sit back and watch it like you're watching a football match. You can watch it like you're watching something on TV. And when it happens, it won't come nigh unto you. You want to miss it? Get born again today. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Because if you miss now, if the rapture occurred and the Christians left, you know what? You're not going to figure it out. You're going to actually buy into a lie that the devil's going to bring onto this earth. It's called great, uh, strong delusion. You're going to believe aliens took Christians away. I don't care what you're going to think. And you will never be able to have a second chance if you miss your chance now. Would you take this serious? Jesus said it. He said, there'll be some standing here which will not taste of death till you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That was, that was exciting, but it's terrifying at the same if you're on the wrong side of history. So, Father, we, we bow before you and we stop and we say, you win. Some of us needed to be saved with fear. Some of us needed to know that how much trouble we're in and that there's no escape if we don't run to Jesus Christ, if we don't cry out to his name and believe with all our heart that he died for us and was buried and rose again and that he wants us and that we just trust him by faith, like a little child saying, I love you. If you'll take me, I'll take you. Jesus says, done. And dear Christian, do you really want anybody of your family to walk into the tribulation and face the second coming of Jesus Christ.
then you better win them to Christ now. Then you better pray for them now. You better raise your kids right now because the devil's not going to let off. He's not going to back off. He's only going to increase his intensity of pressure against Christians. So, Father, help us as we start this few message series. Every day now, when we look at the television, when we hear the news, let us just go, that's it. That's another sign. It's getting faster. It's coming faster. Technology is, is, is spreading at such a pace. Iniquity is spreading and increasing at such a wicked pace. I better be ready. And I pray this for our people in Jesus' name.